Hello there. My name is Chris Martin. I'm the lead pastor of Lumworth Road Church. I want to take a minute and say thank you so much for streaming our service today. We hope and trust you'll be blessed by watching it and that you will have a meaningful encounter with Jesus. Just a few things to note here before the service starts. And the first thing is, you can stay connected with us through the YouVersion Bible app. If you download the app and go to events, it will show you a map of Columbus. Just find Lidmore Road Church and then click on it. Then you'll be able to see sermon notes and announcements and song lyrics for the worship time. There's also a connect card on there and you can fill that out with any prayer request or questions you might have. Also, as a way to stay connected and stay up to date, I want to encourage you to check out our website, linworthroadchurch.com. On there, you can watch previous messages, learn about the different ministries and resources we offer, find out information on upcoming events, and you can give financially online as well. And so again, thank you for watching. Enjoy the service. strong and the water 
that there are these little cute <clears throat> communion cups. They're very all-encompassing. Um, they have the bread and the juice. And they're back on some tables. If you guys missed that, there's some more. But I'm going to share a little bit. Feel free if you did grab one to take communion at any time during the next song or as we are here together. And if you want to grab one, go ahead and grab one while I talk. But this morning we just wanted to celebrate his death and thank him for what he did when he died on the cross because Jesus um, he did that as a perfect plan not, not a second plan but as his very first plan that God the Father had organized and so this was always their idea that Jesus would go to the cross and die for our sins and I wanted to read from 1 Corinthians 11 23 and as we read through this we can take together the Lord's Supper. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new com covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So let's take this together. I thought uh, my parents were a little extreme when they would say, oh, I just hope the Lord comes back so soon. I was like, oh, but, but I want to live a little life first. And so, but I found myself in the last few months just praying that he would come back all the time. And now I think, you know, this life is, is fine here on earth, but oh, there's so much more for us in heaven. And I cannot wait to be there and be free from all of the crazy stuff that's going on and, and 
celebrate with him all the time. But I just want to pray and and uh, bless this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you that the sun's shining again. Thank you that we are able to gather. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time and that you would receive our full affection and our full praise this morning through this communion that we took and also through our songs and through this message that we will hear and through our own hearts and prayers that we are actively thinking and praying as we hear from you this morning. I pray, Lord, that each person would be able to worship you in a very intimate and special way this morning.
think they got all five? All right, a few of you, few of you, right? Quality time, physical touch, acts of service, giving and receiving gifts, and words of affirmation. Now, the author behind all this was Gary Chapman, a Baptist pastor who wrote the book in the late 90s. Today, the five love languages is everywhere. Love languages has entered into our cultural mainstream. Ashley uh, Fetters, who wrote an article for The Athletic, I'm sorry, not The Athletic, The Atlantic. <laughs> athletic is a sports deal. For The Atlantic, she wrote about this love language phenomena. And she says if you, for example, search Twitter, Perhaps on a late Wednesday morning, you will likely find 50 tweets in the past hour containing the, the phrase. She goes on, love languages is all over the Reddit's popular relationship advice forum, and it has even surfaced in TV shows like The Real Housewives of Orange County. Even they are discussing love languages. Now, today's talk connects to one of those love languages, and that is words of affirmation. Though some may need it more than others, we all need words of affirmation. Now, much of our modern training says, look for the good in others and affirm what you see. And that's good. 
That's a baseline. That's improvement. Our generation is more willing to express affirmation than previous generations. And we know from academic studies and personal experience that there are beautiful results when people believe in us. Yet, I wonder how many of us are still giving words of affirmation, are still expressing confidence, when rather than spotting the good, we are confronted by seeing the worst. When the action of another so fills us with disgust or anger that we cannot control ourselves, what do we do then? When it all breaks down for us at that point, can the ways of Jesus point to something different? If you will, open your Bibles to our next segment or your device, our next segment of Luke's Gospel. I'm going to start in verse 24. And this is the segment, the episode, right after the last supper. We're still in that, we're still in that upper room. Here's God's Word, beginning Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords, two swords. That's enough, he replied. Now, if you just look a little bit ahead in verse 54, it picks up Peter's denials. Just a few hours later, let's start reading at verse 60 covering Peter's third denial. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you would have summoned me three times. And he went outside and wept 
bitterly. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Now, there are three identifiable parts in this interaction between Jesus and the disciples. One, a dispute over bragging rights. Two, a misguided confidence, Peter's misguided confidence. And three, a misunderstood metaphor. I just saw all my English teachers just perk up like, oh, man, a misunderstood metaphor. What does that mean? Let's start with the first part, a dispute over bragging rights. This is sad, isn't it? This is really sad. With Jesus' arrest just hours away, the disciples launch into an argument about their status. The reality of Jesus' death is sinking in. Are they thinking about a succession plan? Does this launch them into a horribly timed dispute? You have to wonder. There are plenty of examples of bitter division amongst followers after a leader dies. Well, catch this. Despite their total insensitivity, Jesus uses it as a jumping-off point to talk about greatness. What does the world hold up as great? It is the one with the most people under them, the most people serving their needs. Some things never change, right? Last week, Pastor Nick described his role of working for a CEO here in town. And if I'm right, Nick, Nick was about one of 25 employees who helped manage this man's household. I'd love to have just one of them. But most people would look at this man's empire and say, he is successful. He is great. Yet, the greatest in the kingdom, according to Jesus, is the youngest or the servant. You see, the youngest are a child or the servant. In Jesus' day, they were representative of those without any social status to stand on. Greatness in God's sight is therefore fundamentally different. Kingdom greatness does not see relationships in terms of power, who is up or who is down. Kingdom people don't ground their self-worth in where they rank in relation to others. The world's creed is, I'll see you at the top. The kingdom's creed is, I'll see you at the bottom. Now, it's worth noting here how Jesus confronts their pettiness. Not as we might, right? Not with disgust. He doesn't slap his forehead and cry out to the Father, Why did you give me these men? Sometimes you as parents have done that. Why did you give me these kids? Rather, he gently corrects them and uses it as a moment a teaching moment. But look, look closely. He does more than that. First, he reaches into the past. He commends them. He praises them for how he stood with them during his trials. This reveals a surprising measure of grace, doesn't it? Given how they will just scatter from him before the evening is out. Next, 
he reaches into the future. He goes into the future. And he says, you're going to reign with me in the age to come. Why are you worried about your status here when you're going to own the whole world in the age to come? You see, Jesus does not allow their forthcoming failure to shake his confidence in them. Jesus, in his darkest hour, retains a poise, a self-possession that astounds us. He is still teaching. He is still envisioning. He is still believing in others all the way to the end. That commitment reminded me of a story um, uh, of a story of a woman named Christina Tsai. You can read her story in a book called Queen of the Dark Chamber. And the foreword, by the way, was contributed by Billy Graham. Her birth name was Kai Suwan, and she was born in 1890. She was the 18th of 24 children. Now, that's significant right there, right? And she was born in Nanjing, China. Her family was Buddhist. They were aristocratic. She was a serious child and considered becoming a Buddhist nun, but at age 16, she was converted to the Christian faith. She helped lead her entire family into a relationship with Christ, about 55 people. But at 41 years old, she contracted a form of malaria that messed up her balance and made her incredibly sensitive to light. And for over 50 years, she was confined to a sickbed in a darkened room. But her mission only grew. Suwan was able to comfort lost and broken souls more effectively than she had ever before. Great Christian leaders visited her and sought her counsel. In 1949, she immigrated to the United States and ironically lived three miles from my childhood home during my growing up years. She lived in a little town called, ironically, Paradise. I played baseball virtually in the shadow of her home, though I never knew this great woman of God was holed up there in her room, counseling others and counseling Christian leaders. She died in 1984, but her life, like Jesus's, showed a commitment to love and believe in others to the end. So, our first point, a dispute over bragging rights and Jesus's response. Let's go to the second. Second point is a misguided confidence. Look at verse 31. Did you notice what Jesus calls Peter here? He calls him Simon, his birth name. Why? Because Peter is about to function in his own power, not God's. Now, it's clear that Satan's activity has intensified, and he is seeking the total failure of the other 11, just like Judas. To sift, in verse 31, that word Jesus uses, to sift, means to dramatically shake. The next few days, Jesus is saying to Peter, are going to be exceedingly difficult. But but Peter, I'm praying for you. And it is clear that Jesus has an unshakable confidence in Peter. Even though Peter will flat flat out deny him in just a few hours. And Jesus has confidence that the Father will answer his prayers. Now, we know something of Jesus' prayer for Peter. It's in John's gospel. 
In John 17, verse 8, Jesus prayed, For I gave the disciples, Father, I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. One of the evidences that we are God's son, our daughter, is that we accept his words and we continue to believe them even when it is difficult. And Jesus' words inspire us to get up even after failing miserably. Jesus had confidence because Peter had truly received his words. Now, look at verse 32. Notice how Jesus gives Peter a vision of new opportunities. When you return, Peter, strengthen your brothers. A part of Peter's healing, you might say, or a part of Peter thriving or coming out of this and not staying glued to his failures was to help others. A mission. Here again, Jesus met Peter's flamboyant confidence. Jesus met Peter's swagger. Jesus met Peter's failure. And he met it with perspective, with confidence, and with vision for him. All right, let's go to the last part. That's number two. So we have a dispute about bragging rights. We have Peter's misguided confidence. And finally, we have a misunderstood metaphor. Again, I got all, your, all my English teachers here clued in. What in the world am I talking about? In verse 35, Jesus reminded his friends. Look at verse 35. And here Jesus reminds his friends of all the previous mission trips they had been on through the villages and towns of Israel. What adventures they must have been. Not much planning needed. It reminded me of the mission trips that I took when I was a college student. On our spring breaks, when I was a student at Ohio State, we would use that time and go and share the gospel on other college campuses that were still in session. And the whole thing was done on a shoestring, didn't have a lot of money, without much planning. I'm sure we brought a few extra clothes, a few extra changes of underwear, I think. But we didn't need a lot of money to make it happen. These early trips for the disciples were a bit like that. They did not bring money or extra clothes because they could count on the hospitality of their fellow Israelites. Jesus is saying in the future, friends, that will no longer be possible. As you specifically proclaim Jesus as Messiah, you will, not, you will no longer be so easily welcomed into their homes. There's a citation there from Isaiah in verse 36. That citation predicted how others will wrongly view the Messiah. So Jesus is thus saying to his disciples, you must prepare for what lies ahead and understand that your ministry will not be wholly accepted. There will be opposition. Now the confusion comes in when Jesus says, buy a sword. Now this is confusing. Because the life and teaching of Jesus, nothing there points to him planning or mounting a self-defense. Yet, that is how the disciples take it. They take the instruction to buy a sword literally. Now, in the view of many, in the view of many, when Jesus says buy a sword, he does not mean it literally. Is it, a, it is a figurative way of him saying, prepare your heart for the crisis about to descend on you. Now, for further 
proof of this. Jump ahead to verse 50, if you can get there. In verse 50, the arrest has taken place, and Peter, it's always Peter, Peter wildly swung a sword at one of Jesus' arresters, one of those two swords, and he cut off an ear in the process. Jesus does not cheer him on. Instead, he rebukes him, saying, no more of this. Then, in a stunning act of grace, he heals the ear of his arrester. To have fought arrest with two swords against a Roman legion was not only a silly proposition, but for this context, for this context, it would have violated Jesus' teaching on non-resistance. Jesus had no intention of defending himself. In verse 37, Jesus says, What is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Nick did such a wonderful job explaining this last week. Jesus understood that his death was predicted and necessary. Jesus understood that his death would accomplish both the satisfaction of God's justice and the forgiveness of our sins. He was not a helpless victim. He had the power to reduce his arresters to ashes. But he chose voluntarily to die in submission to the Father's will. This is the paradox of power in the kingdom. Jesus chooses obedience to his Father. Jesus has the power of the Father working in him. He chooses, even in his last hour, to forgive, to show mercy, to not retaliate, to not defend himself. His power, according to the world, was weak and pathetic. What the world knew was the power of Rome that gained its power through coercion and vengeance and unmitigated justice. That's the power of the world. Nietzsche, the 19th century German philosopher known for his announcement that God is dead, he summed up the world's view of a suffering Savior. Nietzsche believed, according to one author, that the cross is a symbol of an entire religion's devotion to mediocrity, that the cross is a symbol justifying a passive acquiescence to power and the herd instinct. Nietzsche himself said of Jesus, this God has degenerated into a staff for the weak, the God of the poor, the sinners, and the sick par excellence. But where does Jesus say real power lies? The power of the kingdom is unseen. It's spiritual. It wins the loyalty of the heart through love, not intimidation. Its weapons are prayer. Its weapons are the word of God. And its weapons are the community of believers whose love and testimony overcomes evil. The disciples did not grasp the paradox of power, so they pulled out their swords and ready for a fight. In verse 38, Jesus says, this is enough. And I take that to mean enough of this talk, enough of this conversation. 
Even in the last hours, a misunderstood metaphor speaks to us about the conflict still in play today, the power of the kingdom versus the power of the world. Yet, even through their dullness, even through their confusion, even through their thick-headedness, what did Jesus do? He continued to love and believe in these men. A dispute over bragging rights, Peter's empty swagger, and a misunderstood metaphor all add up to a theme that I believe the Spirit wants us to recognize. What have we seen here in the disciples after three years of Jesus' investment? Pettiness, insensitivity, competitiveness, empty boasts, and spiritual dullness. How would you have responded? What would you have done? I'd like to sum this up, and this is in your outline. I'd like to sum it up by saying this about this passage. At his darkest hour, Jesus confronted the worst in his disciples. The worst, the very worst. At his darkest hour. And he confronted this in his disciples with instruction, with gentle correction, and with expressions of confidence. I don't know about you, friends. I just find that remarkable. I find it stunning. I find it almost unbelievable. What does that mean for you, and what does it mean for us? Well, it means this. He loves you no less. When you, like the disciples, genuinely begin this journey in search for more of God, you too When you are at your worst, he meets you in the same way. You don't believe me? You find this kind of grace unimaginable? The great apostle Paul would repeat the same pattern as he worked with Christians that were worldly and failing on many levels. Paul said of the Corinthians, he still said of them, Great is my confidence in you, Great is my pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. In all of our troubles, my joy overflows. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. Now, let's be fair. Sometimes Paul's correction was not that gentle. And that's also true of Jesus. His rebuke to Peter that we looked at earlier was not so gentle. Sometimes the situation does demand emphatic actions, and words. But from Jesus, it was always spoken from a place of truth, not prejudgment. And it was always spoken from a place of vision of what we could become. This kind of love is illogical. This kind of love does not calculate. That is why we need the Spirit's help to receive this love. It defies what we expect. This is the first step to pray and to believe that Jesus Christ loves me the same way he loved these disciples. Even at my worst moments, he continues to believe 
in me. And secondly, when we grasp by faith Jesus' confidence over us, we learn to express confidence in others. All of us as Christians are called to make disciples, to help others find Jesus and grow in Jesus. This is the purpose of the church. And this is your purpose. This is your purpose. This is your calling. To go and to make disciples, to help others find Jesus and grow in Jesus. Now, we live it out in different ways. We have different fields of work to make disciples. Yours may be a classroom, or it may be at home. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be at work. It may manifest itself here at church. We all have different fields to work in to make disciples. And we need to disciple others as Jesus did, following Jesus' pattern. The expressions of confidence from Jesus to Peter and the rest of the disciples had a beautiful result, did it not? Right? The expressions of confidence from Jesus to his disciples had a beautiful result. We know that from church history. We know that from academic studies. We know that from personal experience. Expressions of confidence yield beautiful results in people. These men would need to remember these stories as they faced unbelievable, incredible trials, that Jesus had confidence in them. When they failed in the future, they could look back and see how Jesus restored them and expressed confidence in them. Now you, you also, you have an opportunity to grow something beautiful in your field as well. You have the opportunity to set a culture, to instill a practice that greatly will affect how the people in your world view themselves. What kind of culture are you building? Moms and dads and small group leaders and friends of non-Christians and leaders of small groups. What kind of culture are you instilling and building? Is it one of criticism? Or is it a culture of loving affirmation of expressions of confidence? Let me sum up, just to be simple and clear, sum up an application for you today, a very simple application that will require you to take uh, 15 to 30 minutes this week and do a little uh, moral inventory And that is to ask yourself these questions. Number one, this is most important. Do I believe Jesus expresses confidence in me even at my worst? Again, this will will be in your, your, uh, on the teaching notes, or you can write it down. Do I believe Jesus expresses confidence in me even at my worst? He's there. He's believing in you. He's expressing confidence in you. Yes, he may be bringing correction, gentle or otherwise. But he's got a vision for you of what you can become. And because of that, he's expressing confidence in you. Or, or secondly, 
Secondly, am I willing to express confidence in others, even at their worst? This took me a long time, by the way, to discover as a parent. It took me a long time to discover as a parent and as a pastor, as one making disciples. It took me a long time to figure this out. How to express confidence in people, even at their worst moments. You know, your children are the members of your small group, are the non-Christian you're trying to win to Christ, or um, the people that are in your circle, your world. Their worst moment is often an opportunity for you to reveal the surprising, illogical, relentless grace of Jesus. It may be the greatest opportunity for you to embody the gospel of God in their lives by revealing the grace, kindness, and love of Jesus and confidence in them. Their worst moment may be the greatest teaching moment for you if we can see it, if we can get past our anger and our disgust and see the larger picture at play. Now, lastly, I'm going to conclude on this. It's getting pretty hot, right? It's getting pretty warm. Though we've got almost everybody's in shade. I see Pastor Nick is not. Sorry, Nick. And a few other of you, Joe and Sarah, I see you struggling back there, not in the shade. You guys okay back there? All right. God bless you. God bless you. Here's the last thing I'm going to say because I want to practice what I preach. (laughs) No matter where you are today, no matter where you are as your pastor, I want to say to you because the Holy Spirit lives in you, great is my confidence in you. Great, not a little. Great is my confidence in every one of you. You can change. You can change. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can begin today to create a culture where the people around you, the people you're discipling, feel the love of God and the confidence of God radiating from you like beams of sunlight. You can do it. And it's never too late. Some of you are saying, my kids are out of the home. My kids are gone. It was a culture of criticism. It's too late. No, it's never too late. It is never too late to begin creating a culture amongst the people that God's given you influence over, a culture of affirmation. They will be more sure of themselves. They will have a healthier view of themselves. They will be more confident, and they will have more confidence that their Father in heaven loves them. Bow with me in prayer, if you would, please. Oh, Father, as this breeze brings relief to us, as the wind comes and brings refreshment, may your Spirit come upon this church and breathe life and breathe the power of the Holy Spirit upon us to make us men and women that capture a vision, boys and girls that grasp in our hearts that Jesus loves us 
and that Jesus meets us in our worst moments with expressions of confidence. May we, Jesus, as disciple makers under your calling, may we learn to walk in the way of the master and do the same to the people that you've placed in our lives to help grow or to help come into relationship with Jesus. We pray this, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of our Savior who loved us, who suffered for us, who died for us, and who resurrected for us. Amen. 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 God's good. God is good. All right. Nick's going to give us a few announcements, and then I'll return for a final blessing, and that'll be it for this morning. All right. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Thank you for that message, and thank you to all of you for hanging in with us. I tried to convince Chris earlier in the week that he should bring a, like a super soaker or a water gun and just spray us periodically during the message. But uh, again, thank you for hanging in here. We know it's hot. Um, yeah, just a couple quick reminders and announcements. Uh, just a reminder, if, if you would like to, uh, to give, uh, there's some tithe boxes at the, the black tables in the back. Or again, as Nick said, you could do it uh, through the app or through our website. Um, also, uh, we announced this last week, but... Uh, we're uh, offering Financial Peace University through, it's through a virtual uh, means. Um, and right now they're letting you try it for two weeks uh, for free. And then if you, you like it, you can go on and complete the class. Um, and there is a cost. If you do it for a week or two and you decide, you know what, this isn't for me. It's not, not what I thought it was. You can, you can stop at that point. Um, and all that information is on the, the app. And uh, if you have any questions, you can talk to Mandy, our women's director. Uh, she's heading it up. And so I'd encourage you to do that. And then just lastly, uh, you know, last week we had a couple meetings. Um, the Association of Churches that we're a part of had a, a recent change and a decision, and uh, we communicated that. Um, if you were not able to make it, uh, if you look again on the Bible app, there's a link there, and you can read a written statement from Great Commission Churches describing the change uh, and the decision. And you can also listen to the audio that we taped from last week's uh, meeting. And so if you're interested in that, you can do that. Or if you have any questions, you can talk to to one of the pastors. Um, That's it for announcements. Chris is going to close us with a final blessing. Thanks, Nick. Go ahead and stand. And I want to say that yesterday, uh, Leah Major had planned a a, a silent prayer walk downtown and uh, had a great response. Had about 25 of you come out. And we walked in various places downtown, had a great time praying for our city and praying for many of our leaders in many other areas of, of, of change and hope. And uh, it was just a very encouraging time. As you know, downtown was quite the uh, 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 cauldron of activity yesterday with many, many competing groups protesting. And uh, we were just thrilled to be there, again, praying and, uh, and, and trusting God in this time to, um, to bring about His purposes through uh, the turmoil that's uh, happening around us. So... Let's close with a blessing, and if you'd like, you can raise your hands so as to receive the blessing. Now may God the Father, may our union with Christ, and may the power of the Spirit live in and through us, and may Christ be plainly seen through his church. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.